Amen. Well, good morning, church. Um, we're having a lot of technical difficulties here. I don't have a microphone and everything, so I'm, vo- I'm forced to preach with my voice. Um, well, this is the day the Lord has made, and we still have to be glad, you know, whether there are technical difficulties or not. I must admit, I was a bit very um, upset, but we'll get through this. Well, we want to thank God for seeing us through the first week of our fasting and prayer program. I'm just glad that we've been able to get over the hump. I'm speaking from a personal experience. Amen. And I believe that we are building momentum into the last and the final week. Uh, fasting is difficult. Tell, tell me about it. It's, it's very tough. But um, I believe it's also one of the very essential and vital disciplines of a church. Amen. Uh, one of the many reasons why we are not able to reveal Christ or have a sense of Christ-likeness or an identity of Christ-likeness is the flesh. The flesh becomes a strong man and a barrier in allowing our souls to align with our born-again spirits to exhibit Christ-likeness. And one of the ways to temper to dominate and to tame the flesh is to practice the art of fasting. Amen. I have uh, observed carefully uh, and looked at the American church and fasting seems to be a lost art, which is quite unfortunate. Amen. The fact that it is difficult uh, doesn't mean it shouldn't be practiced because sometimes that's what really happens. It's not done from a place of convenience, so that can be tough. But one way or another, let's believe in that act and that biblical principle and practice of fasting, which goes a long way. One of the many, many benefits is that we will exhibit Christ-likeness. And aside that too, fasting adds a certain edge and potency to our prayer life. Amen. And when you are praying and when there is an edge to your prayer life, it does tremendous power. Uh, It it makes tremendous power available, dynamic and working. Amen. Fasting is also not skipping a meal. Fasting is not dieting. Fasting is not even what in medical science they might call intermittent fasting. It's all different. When we talk about fasting, fasting is replacing your missed meal or meals, depending on how many meals you will want to miss. Some will want to just fast a breakfast, some may want to fast breakfast and lunch. But replacing those missed meals with reading the Bible, studying the Bible, meditating the Bible, praying, and worshiping the Lord, that is the essence of biblical fasting. It's not just about going hungry and then looking at the clock to break. It's about that time that you know this is the time I'll have breakfast, this is the time I'll have lunch. You'd rather spend that time reading the Bible, praying, meditating, and worshiping the Lord to foster communion with the Holy Spirit. Amen. So I really encourage you to join the final week of our program. This is the last leg, and uh, I believe we'll have a very great time. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your holy word. We pray that your word will minister to us. 
in simplicity and in clarity of speech. I pray that our minister under the inspiration and under the instruction and the leading of the Holy Spirit. I pray that let your word minister to us this morning and may we live here blessed in Jesus name. Amen. Please go with me to the book of Job. Job chapter 7 verse 11 to 21. The book of Job. Job chapter 7 verse 11 to 21. You know, chapter 7 has just 21 verses, so we are looking at the last 10 verses, starting from verse 11. So, Job, amen. I'm reading. Therefore, I will not restrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the bitterness of my soul. Am I a sea or a sea serpent that you set a guard over me? When I say my bed will comfort me, my catch will ease my complaints. Then you scare me with dreams and terrify me with visions. So that my soul chooses strangling and death rather than my body. I loathe my life. I will not live forever. Let me alone, for my days are but a breath. What is man that you should exalt him? Verse 18. That you should set your heart on him. That you should visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me and let me alone till I swallow my saliva? Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you set me as your targets? so that I am a burden to myself. Why then do you not pardon my transgression and take away my iniquity? For now I will lie down in the dust and you will seek me diligently, but I will no longer be. Amen. One of the things I really struggle with is finding a heading or a theme for a sermon. Amen. I really do struggle a lot. Uh, I believe that as, as I just sat down today, I just had a theme. And the theme is from a scripture we didn't even read. That's 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. And when you read that scripture, it says, He who does not love God, he who does not love, does not know God. For God is love. And I want to focus on the last four words of that statement of 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. For God is love. So, based on that scripture, I'm preaching on what I call God is love. So, you may ask me the question, Pastor, we just read Job chapter 7, verse 11 to verse 21. What is the link between that story and God is love. Well, I'm glad you asked. Today's Bible reading is very relevant. Have you been in an evil situation where you lay all the blame at God? Have you been in a situation so dire and so hard that you tend to fix your disappointments on God? as the cause of all your woes. Uh, At the time of writing, you have to understand Job. He had many troubles. 
Bible commentators, many of them speculate that Job's uh, trial or ordeal that he went through, it, it lasted between six months to two years. They are not very sure. So let's say the minimum is six months. And let me tell you something. Job is a hero of the Bible. When you read James chapter 5, Apostle James, the stepbrother of Jesus Christ, said, we should emulate the perseverance of the elder Job. So one reason why Job was able to come out of all his trials successfully was because he had perseverance. But sometimes life can meet you at your wit's end and put you at a breaking point. And such is the story that we read. Now, Job, you have to understand the severity of his problems. He had lost all his businesses with his fortune. Job was a poor man. He could declare himself bankrupt. To make matters worse, all his 10 children died. He had 10 children, all of them died. And during the ancient Israel, when it comes to the issue of childbearing, and you know, your, your child living or dying, for the Jews, it could signify omens. So, for example, if your child dies before the parents, the traditional Jew believes that the hand of the Lord is against you and you have probably sinned or you are under a curse. That's what is believed. If you are a woman and if you go childless, it was a scourge, it was a shame. Because one of the promises that God gave to the children of Israel is... I will bless your bread, I will bless your water, and you shall not cast your young. That was one of the promises. So most people under the commonwealth of Israel believe one of the blessings that God will give to mankind, especially those who belong to the commonwealth of Israel, was childbirth. So if you're a woman and if you couldn't give birth, they, they interpret it as God has it looked favorably upon you. Today in this world, thank God for the advancement of medical science. It's not always the case that you are under a curse or some omen. Most times, it's very, very medical and very scientific. I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian. I do believe that sometimes there is a bit of the supernatural factor involved when it comes to childbirth. But I believe that the mystery and the aura surrounding childbirth largely is scientific or medical. Amen. But the, the Jews believe that. So for Job to experience the death of all 10 of his children and not one alive, for the common Jew, it spelled to them that Job was cursed. Job had a bad spell, had an evil omen. Something bad had happened to Job. On top of that, he also had an undiagnosed skin abrasion. It looked more like leprosy, but per perhaps it was worse than leprosy. And the Bible says it came to a place that Job was itching and, and he sat outside. He, he, he was humiliated. His health was under attack. He, he doesn't have money. He's, he's bankrupt. He's more than poor. And he has lost his children. What a sad news. And what a hard and difficult road to travel on. But if you read the scriptures carefully, the Bible lets us understand that God permitted this to happen to Job for a reason, which I wouldn't want to go into because that is not the 
emphasis or uh, the, the point of my story. But during the baptism of fire that Job was in, he had three friends who came to see him. His friends did very well. I'll commend them. Because Job was a very wealthy man. The Bible says that he was the richest man of the East. And a wealthy man has many friends. So I don't believe that Job had only three friends. Job had a lot of friends. He was wealthy. He was famous. He was a great man. But during his time of need, only three friends remembered him. And they go by the names of Elevas, Bildad, and Zophar. They did well. I will applaud these three because they understood relationship. We live in an age where relationships have been very trivialized. People don't understand the essence and the importance of relationships. People don't know how to keep relationships. Some people don't even know how to be good friends for that matter. It's very sad. Relationships have been trivialized. There is one saying that I had a great man of God saying, and I've always borrowed that. He said, man was not created for things. Man was created for relationships. And such a deep statement, very simplistic on the surface, but when you think about it, you will see every ounce of truth in that statement. Man was not created for things. If you are going to live on this earth, and just be infatuated with things. You are very pitiful. Man was not created for that. Things were created for man. But man was created for relationships. So one of the things that we will have to do, and one of the skills we will have to employ if we don't have it, is the skill of relationships. Making good relationships. Not just making it, but learning how to keep good relationships, and for that matter, being a good relational partner. So relationships varies in many forms, in marriage, friendships, and everything, family. Make sure that you are a good relational partner. So these three people, they did very well. They came. When Job was at his lowest point, these friends showed up, and it's very commendable. Amen. Every now and then, it is good that you, 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 you are in trouble. Sometimes, life will permit us to go into trouble. Sometimes, it's even divine. And when we go into trouble or we are embroiled in some sort of controversy, sometimes it is just to sift the genuine from the lot of friends we have. You say you're on Facebook, you have 3,000 friends. 3,000 friends. How many of them can you truly call your friends? You say you're on Twitter, you have how many followers? Maybe 1,000 followers. How many of them can you truly call your friends? You may have an IG account and you may have about four or 5,000 following you. How many of them are truly your friends? How many of them will even take time to wish you happy birthday? And if they can't even celebrate in your moment of joy, how much more when you are in your moment of grief? Sometimes it's so funny. You will see a friend with 5,000, 5,000 friends or, you know, I, I think the limit is 5,000 on Facebook. And then when it's his birthday, only 20 people will wish him happy birthday. 
So <laughs> it should let you know that out of the 5,000, it's 20 that are truly and genuinely your friends. Amen. So sometimes we go through hard times and certain hardships just to sift the genuine friends. And that was what happened in Job's case. I believe Job had many friends, many, many business partners claimed they were his friends. People he looked after claimed they were his friends. People who had done business with him, he might have had clientele. He might have had family members, you know. I'm sure Job might have some brothers, might have some sisters. I don't hear of Job's father in the story. I don't hear of Job's mother in the story. I don't hear of Job's uncle. I'm sure he had family, relatives, people that he would send money to. But when he was in his time of, of grief and when he was at his lowest point, only three friends showed up. And that's life. So don't grieve too much when people don't show up. What you have to understand is that that is the reality. Every now and then, it's good for you to go into certain things. Crisis. Like the church. The church has been in crisis since the pandemic. Everybody has been complaining. Since, we, since the pandemic, we are not having members. Well, the members that you have now, they are your members. Just focus on them and build a church. And those who have left, that's fine. Because God is too clever to tie your destiny to someone who has left. Focus on the few, build, pay attention, and, and master focus. And just allow God to bless you. You may, you, may have, you may have been very bitter now looking at, look at all the relationships I've had and people that I've invested in. Only these few people showed up during my time of grief, during my time of sadness. Well, such is life. Those few friends, value them, cherish them, build the relationship from there, and trust God to open doors for new relationships. Because sometimes the clutter is too much. God has to separate the chaff from the wheat so that better people can come into your life that you can form meaningful and lively relationships. Well, that was Job. Only three friends showed up. But there was a problem with these three friends. They were miserable comforters. <laughs> they added to Job's pain. When you read the 42 chapters, you will see it very clearly. They criticized Job very harshly. And they falsely labeled him a sinner for the woes he was going through. And sometimes it would be better have even not to have friends. You see, you can have friends who will be with you during your time of vulnerability, but there is nothing more painful than them being miserable comforters. And the reason why Job was talking like this in chapter 7 was because of one of the friends called Eliphaz. Eliphaz in Job chapter 4 said that the reason why Job is going through everything he's gone through is because he's a sinner. But if you read chapter 1, the devil actually asked permission that can I test Job? And when I test Job, will he not deny you? So it wasn't because Job sinned. Because the opening verses of chapter 1 started with, Job was a perfect man. He feared God and eschewed evil. So the calamity and everything that Job was going through was not because he's a sinner. But Eliphaz who was very short-sighted, said Job was a sinner. 
And then in chapter 5, he now encouraged Job that, Job, because you are a sinner, go through the chastening of the Lord. Go through the discipline of the Lord. The Lord is disciplining you. He's chastening you for being a sinner. Go through it. And that, I think Job had had enough. So in chapter 6, he started his complaint. And then he ended his complaint in chapter 7. And what made Job begin to talk like that was because he was responding to the accusation or the presumption of Eliphaz. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have an opportunity to be a friend to someone who is vulnerable or in his or her moment of weakness, be very careful. Because you can by your words and your deeds either complicate or medicate their pain. There are two things that you can do. When someone is slow, when someone is vulnerable, be careful the pronouncements. Be careful your actions. Because you are either complicating the person's pain or you are medicating their pain. But these people, thank God that they showed up. Good friends out of the whole lot. But they complicated Job's pain. They accused him that he was a sinner. And Job never sinned. The Bible called them perfect and righteous. The Bible called them one who feared God and eschewed evil. And yet, Job's ten children are dead. His businesses have collapsed. His health is under attack. And probably he has become the talk of the town. Such humiliation and such disgrace. Why should a perfect man, a man that fears God, why should he go through this? We don't understand the vicissitudes of life. We don't understand how life is shaped to be. We don't. So we should slow down, thinking we know it all. And the funny thing is that after Job had complained, when you read chapter 8, the second friend called Bildad now gave commentary. He says, Job, you should repent. Repent. Repent of it. Don't complain. After Job had complained, he's now saying, Job, you should repent. So we should be careful because we are not God. But thankfully, when you read the ending of Job's letter or book in chapter 42, the Bible lets us know that Job received everything double. He was a man of perseverance. That's why James chapter 5, he is commended that we should look forward to the example of Job who persevered. For how, for how many months or how many years, that's really not what matters. What matters is that he persevered and received double for his trouble. When you read Job chapter 42, the ending of Job's life is very beautiful. But now, back to my text. I couldn't help but notice some points in reading Job's complaints out of pain. Because life has a way of embittering you to the point that you can easily make God the cause of all your troubles, the cause of all your woes, the cause of all your frustrations. Maybe as I'm preaching or speaking to you, I'm even touching a nerve because you could say, maybe that's me. Maybe for some, you've been so angry at God, like, God, if I'm truly worshiping you and, and if this is all that the Christian faith has to offer, why is my life 
appear shaped in this direction. I pray that may you be strengthened and may you receive hope. Job came to a place where he even wanted to die. We read it in verses 15 and 16 and 21. He had lost the will and the power to live. I'm sure when Job was wealthy, he might probably had never had uh, those dispositions. But life had crushed him to the point where he had reached his tipping point. He had reached a breaking point that he didn't want to live again. It was too much for him. And therefore, I pray for somebody who is listening to me this morning. That may you be strengthened and have the will to live again. I like a scripture in Job 14 verse 7 to 9. It says that for there is hope for a tree. Even if it is cut down, it will sprout again. And it says that even though its tender shoots will, will not cease, and though its roots may grow old and die, and its stump may die in the ground, it says, yet at the scent of water, it will bud again, and it will bring forth branches like a plant. That is the God we serve. It doesn't matter the hopelessness, the disappointment of your situation. There is still hope. If there is hope for a tree, a tree that was not created in the image of God, how much more you? I said it last week. God said it. You have been created in the image and in the likeness of God. And if God is able to take care of the birds of the air, and if he's even able to take care of the lilies of the field, shall he not clothe you? And now we, we in Job chapter 14, Job is using the analogy of a tree that even if it is cut down at the scent of water, it shall bud forth and bring forth branches again. Therefore, your case is not hopeless. Keep on living. Don't die. Postpone that death. Don't die. Don't die. Hope is coming. Solution is coming. You will live again. But out of bitterness, Job made certain complaints. He made seven of them. Because he saw God as the cause of all his problems. Because he was embittered. He, saw, he, he, he said that God saw him as a sea monster that needs to be tamed or imprisoned. He said, am I a sea or a sea serpent? He's talking about a sea monster here. That you will set a guard over me. Now that word guard does not necessarily mean to watch over. It means to be imprisoned. You know, when you get a wild animal, what do you do to a wild animal? You have to tame the animal. And, and, and Job believes that God sees him as a sea monster. That needs taming. That's why he's going through what he's going through. But God doesn't see us as sea monsters. God sees us in the image and in the likeness of him. He created us to be like him. He thinks of us. The second complaint, that's in, the, in verse 13. The first one is in verse 12. He saw God as the cause of his insomnia. When you read verse 13, Job had sleep problems. He was sleep deprived. I mean, if you are going through problems like this, will you be able to sleep? I'm sure when Job lies on bed, I don't even know whether he even had a bed because he was sitting outside. If he lies outside to sleep, can he sleep? He will be wondering, I used to sleep on waterbed. I used to sleep on a queen's bed. I used to sleep on a king-size bed. 
Now look at me. Look at my life now. And then he will be thinking of his ten children. When I gave birth to this first, when my wife gave birth to this first one, and when this one turned 20, and when this one turned 21st, and when we did the sweet 60, he will be thinking about 10 of his, can he even sleep? And on top of that too, his body itches. Can't sleep. He blamed God. He said, you are the cause of my insomnia. And sometimes we blame God when we can't sleep. But when you read Psalm 127 verse 2b, the Bible says God gives his beloved sleep. God is not the cause of your insomnia. God will not wake you up to teach you a lesson. God, God will not deprive you of sleep to punish you. That is not the God we serve. The third thing that Job thought of God was that he is the cause of his nightmares and terrifying visions he had at night. Verse 14, he said, you owe God. You, you, you cause me to have terrifying visions and dreams in the night. That's not the God we serve. That's not the God we serve. I mean, I believe some of you have kids and can relate. If you scare your kid in the dark and the kid is always crying, and you are a loving parent. Will you continue doing that? And Jesus will say that if you men of evil even know how to think good towards your children, how much more your father in heaven. Why will God, who is our father, give us dreams and terrifying visions in the night that we will wake up in cold sweats? Why will we want to attribute it to God? This is Job here. He's so bitter. He said that God, you you cause me terrifying visions in the night. And that is not God. In verse 17 to 18, the fourth thing that Job said about God is that he's a narcissist. And I like what it says in the CEV. What makes you concerned about us humans? As CEV will quote, why do you test us from sunrise to sunset? That's a narcissist. You enjoy the pain of people. You derive pleasure out of people's pain. And is that God? Does God truly test us from sunrise to sunset? Is that the God we serve? The fifth complaint in verse 19, Job believed that God had forsaken him. And the Bible says, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. That's not God. When you feel forsaken, God doesn't forsake. He will never leave, nor forsake you. Verse 20 is the sixth complaint. Job believed that God is targeting him for his sins. God doesn't target us for our sins. God doesn't even have to target us if he really wanted us to Give us one for our sins. He wouldn't have to target us. But Job believed that God is targeting him for his sins. And that's not the God we serve. Once upon a time, he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world. So God is not targeting us for our sins because it has been paid for. That is why God will be sad at people who will 
not receive the payment for their sins to have fellowship with him. God is not mad at you. God doesn't keep grudges. He will not target you for your sins. That is not the God we serve. And sometimes that is a wrong message that we have preached to people. That God will target you for your sins. And he's holding a club in his hand. And he has a judge's mallet. That's not the God we serve. Number seven. And the last. Verse 21. Job believes that God doesn't forgive sins. And hold grudges. But the God that we serve. I came to tell you this morning. He's a God of love. He forgives. And he bears no grudges. It was valid for Job to speak like that. Because that is what happened when you speak out of emotions. Listen, your feelings can be a false prophet. Don't believe it. Don't always believe your feelings. Because when we are talking about false prophets and false prophecies, your feelings too can be in that category. When we make it our heart's goal and desire, irrespective of the odds against us, to pursue a living, vibrant, and active relationship with Christ, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. During the first week of the fast, I believe strongly that what I felt was just the love of God. Strongly than anything. Strongly than anything. It's overwhelming. It is reckless. It's never-ending. For me, the message that I really got from God is that he really wants us to understand how much he loves us. That, that is why he's speaking to us through the theme this year, Pursue Me. Because when you pursue Christ, one of the things you will come to understand slightly is the love of Christ. How much God loves you. Let me end with this scripture in Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake? We are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through us who loved us. How will you be able to conquer in this Christian faith? You will be able to conquer in this Christian faith when you understand the magnitude of God's love towards you. Love is what will help you to be more than a conqueror. Love. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. How do you experience the love of Christ? Out of a relationship. And that's why we have to pursue Christ. When we pursue Christ and when we have the heart to pursue Christ, we will experience this love of God, which overcomes every barrier. And look at what can't separate us from the love of God. 17 things are mentioned there. 
tribulation. When you have experienced the love of Christ, tribulation can't separate us from the love of Christ. There is nothing that you will go through. No ill will that will be before you. Nothing that life will deal with you will be able to change your confession to say, God doesn't love me. Tribulation can't separate you. It talks about distress. Sometimes life, we can be very distressed. We can even be distressed by what we even hear on the news. That will still not be able to separate us from the love that God has for us. That is why we all have to come to a place of experiencing the love of God. But you can't experience the love of God if you don't pursue him. Pursue him. Pursue him. Pursue him through reading the Bible. Pursue him through worship. Pursue him through prayer. Pursue him at all costs and experience this love. And when you experience this love, nothing will be able to separate us from the love. It talks about persecution, farming, nakedness. You can be without clothing. You can, be, you can go days without food. It will still not change your confession and reorient your thinking that God is against you. All that you will say is that God loves me and because God loves me, I might be going through this temporary setback. He still has my back because the earth belongs to the Lord and the food Thereof, and if he's able to clothe the lilies of the field, how much more me, a child of God, he will clothe me. You will not be better when you come to a place where you are fortified in the love of God. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God. The love of God is more than monkey glue. I heard that monkey glue is the strongest glue, but the love of God is stronger than monkey glue. When you understand the love of God and when the love of God is attached to you, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. It talks about peril, sword, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, whatever spiritual forces, they can't separate us from the love of God. It talks about things present, things to come, heights, depth, any creator thing, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And we can only experience this love out of a pursuit for him. So, I will advise you that join us during this week of prayer because this is one of the avenues through which you will experience the love that God truly has for you. And when you can understand that, it changes everything about your Christian experience and your Christian work with God. So, my prayer for you is as you pursue Christ, may you experience this barrier-breaking love, which is pure. I pray that may you be rooted and grounded in love, according to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. May you be rooted and grounded in the love of God. For God is love. God is not the cause of your woes. He's not the cause of, quote-unquote, your curses. He's not the one that will put troubles on you. Whatever hardship and discomfort you may be going through, it's, it's not because he wants to pay you back. You know, maybe, maybe you didn't give offerings, so you think God is paying you back. Maybe you didn't even fast, so you think God is paying you back. Maybe you didn't even pray or read your Bible for several days, and you think God is paying you back. That is not the God we serve. That is why his love is overwhelming, 
it is reckless, it is never ending. God loves you. God is love. Thank you, Lord. Pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I want to pray for anyone here who is embittered by life's circumstance. It's not God's fault. Don't believe the lie of the devil. Or don't believe your, heal- your feelings. I pray healing. May you be healed. May the bitter waters of Mara turn sweet again. Oh, Lord. As Moses put a tree into the waters, thank you that it is a, a, a symbol of your cross that dissolved every bitter situation that we can experience sweetness out of life's experience. To you, O oh Lord, we commit ourselves to you, the omnipotent and potentate King. We thank you. We bless your holy name. I pray for healing. Healing of the soul. Healing of the emotions. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. How about you, Pastor Jessica?